The future is a million little choices. A little extra work or a little extra play. Reconcile or let the sun go down on your anger. If we could get a picture of the future, if we could jump ahead 10, 15, 20 years, and see the accumulation of our decisions, the chain of events we set in motion, how differently would we live today? How would we choose to spend our time? What would we walk away from? How would we treat the people around us? Your future is a million little choices. And it starts today. Well, there are a lot of things in life that are uncertain that we have absolutely no control over. Uh, the weather, taxes, other people, <laughs> a lot of things are uncertain. But our choices, our choices, every choice we make, every child, every adult, no matter what age, every choice we make is completely under our control. We have power. Choice is power. And we get to choose how we're going to use that power. And uh, the choices that we make today will have a ripple effect into our future. There's just no way around it. Because the Bible clearly says we reap what we sow, right? Well, a lot of things in life are uncertain. We're in a series called Uncertain. And uh, I love the snow. Don't judge me. I just do. And so we weren't getting any around here, and Buddy and I decided they always get in Ohio. And my cousin sent me a picture, and she said, how do you like this? And so we packed up the babies and all the old ladies, and we got into our car, and we headed towards Ohio. <laughs> it wasn't just for the snow. I love my cousins, and I love spending time with them. And so we went out, took a little trip, weekend before last. And then we, and when we got out there, we heard we were going to have snow here. So we just brought all the snow from Ohio here. And then go ahead, thank me. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks to all the people that were out there working hard, hard, hard. All of the people that were driving those trucks and shoveling those uh, great big things. Yes, give them a hand. We're grateful to them. I know it was a hardship on them, but uh, I, I just love that snow. And then did you notice what God did for us after that. He just kind of came out with the sun and just started melting it all away. See, if you just be patient, you could really dig this stuff. You could really love it. <laughs> and uh, you know that he didn't do that for the people in Harrisonburg because we were there yesterday and it's still snow really, really deep, but he melted it all away along with our hard workers that scraped it all away. So I love the snow. Well, when we were out in Ohio, uh, Buddy has... Uh, his good buddy is my cousin's husband, which is technically my cousin, and they're golf buddies. They've been golfing together for a long time. And so I just kind of sat and listened to them as they were talking golf. And I got a real kick out of it because um, Buddy said, he was serious as he could be, and he said, you know, golf courses are really dangerous. He said, I heard about this guy that uh, he, he took a swing and the head of his driver came off and hit another guy in the head, killed him. Yeah, and he was sitting here last night, and he said, it's true. 
And then there was another guy that was under a tree on a golf course. The lightning struck it and uh, hit the tree. The tree came over, hit the guy, killed him. I mean, it's dangerous on golf courses. And so my, my cousin Danny said, well, that's why I got my lightning app. And he pulls out his phone, and he actually has a lightning app. And he said when they were in Myrtle Beach, he took his lightning, uh, he pulled it out because it looked like a storm was brewing, took it out, and it said, the lightning is one-tenth of a mile away. And he said, just like that, the lightning struck right where they were. <laughs> and it was like, I can just see him and Buddy getting in that golf cart and heading out. <laughs> and that's what they did. And it was really funny listening to, I guess you can't trust golf uh, lightning apps, right? It's kind of uncertain, even though it tells you that it's going to give you the, the uh, answers. Well, there are a lot of things. That's a freak accident that happened on the golf course, but the percentage of freak accidents are very low, and if you make some good choices, I don't think you'll have a problem on the golf course. I don't think it's going to deter Buddy. But a lot of things in life are uncertain. They're completely beyond our control. Freak accidents are beyond our control. But personal choice is power, and we all have it. And every day, every single one of us, uh, this morning when we got out of bed, you chose what to eat. You chose what, how many donuts to have. You chose what clothes to put on. You chose which car to bring. You see what I'm saying? Choices. All of us are making choices every day. And these choices, there's some major choices that we make that are either sabotaging our life in our future, they're piling up and they're sabotaging what we truly want in life, or else they're building toward a rich and satisfying life and future. And it really kind of, you know, it's important to sit down and begin to think about these things and think about the power of our choices. And knowing the difference between those two, the ones that are sabotaging us and the ones that are building toward a, a rich and satisfying uh, life and future, is the artwork of life. To be able to sort that out. Do I do this or do I do that? And how do I know? How do I know to make those choices? Well, Jesus and his message address this dilemma. You know, when you come to church, you're going to hear about Jesus, right? And you know, when I'm up here, you're going to hear about Jesus. And Jesus addresses this whole idea of, of our choices. And uh, he, he says, at those crossroads that we come to, and we all come to de decision-making crossroads, he simply stands there and he gives an invitation. Come with me. Because I, I, I love you. And we get to choose him or not. But he doesn't leave us on our own. He teaches us that those choices that we make affect the outcomes of our life. We reap what we? Yes. And we're all sowing. We're all sowing something, some kind of seed. But he doesn't leave us alone. He gives us a guidebook. And this guidebook is full of warnings, it's full of challenges, and it's full of promises. Now, we tend to be leery of promise makers because probably every single one of us here, every person online, every person in this building has had someone in their life that has broken a promise. It's painful. It feels like betrayal. 
it hurts. And so we tend to hear promises and we say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's Jesus giving us some promises. But here's the thing about Jesus. He never makes those promises with also telling us what it's going to require of us. With tell it, without telling us what the cost of this choice is. Now, a lot of people won't do that because they don't want to tell you what it's going to cost you. They just want you to believe their promise. But Jesus doesn't do that. He gives the promise, but he says, here's what it's going to take from you, and it's not going to be easy. I promise you that you can have inner peace, that you can gain self-respect, that you can, that you can gain a rich and satisfying life, even eternal life. But here's the cost. And here's what it's going to require of you and of me. It's a difficult, narrow road. And it requires something that when you get to these decision points and these places in your life, it's going to be tough. And you're not going to be able to do it without my power. He offers that. And we get to decide, do I want that or not? And most often, we humans, we choose the cushy ride. We choose the thing that's going to give us more immediate benefit than what we think about for our future. Boy, I know I did when I was young. I didn't give a, I didn't give a second thought to the decisions, the life-changing decisions that I made that I'm dealing with today. Never thought about that. But here's Jesus, and he does that for us. You know, I love that post that said, everyone wants muscles, but no one wants to be sore. And isn't that true? We want the benefits. We're just people that are made like that. We want the benefits, but don't ask me. Don't require anything out of me. I just want the benefits of what you can give me. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, when you come with me, it's going to be tough. And very few people take this road. Very few people choose to go down this road. But many of us here today have. Many people worshiping online have chosen to take that narrow road. And Buddy uh, told us about when he started the series, Uncertain, he talked about that narrow road. And he said few people choose to take it because it's really tough. You have to sacrifice some things today for that rich and satisfying future. And then Jason came along, and he gave us another narrow road choice to tithe. And many of you accepted that. In fact, this last time when Jason offered that challenge, 17 more people took it up. And they said, you know what? I'm going to trust that Jesus, when Jesus tells me that he will take care of all of my needs if I put him first, I'm going to take that challenge. And we've had people, I had people in my office yesterday talking to me about what it meant to tithe and what God has done in their life. And it doesn't mean financial gain. It just simply means that, that you grow deeper in him. And those are narrow road choices. And last week, Buddy talked about preparing today for the return of Jesus. But we think, oh, that'll happen one day. I don't need to do anything today. But that choice today will make a huge difference when the future arrives. Putting God first is a narrow road choice. But you think that's tough? You think tithing is tough? You think putting God first? I'm going to ramp it up on you today, and I'm going to throw something at you that's even tougher. In fact, it's impossible, completely impossible 
in our own strength and willpower. This command of Jesus causes more personal, personal turmoil. Uh, none of them cause, cause more turmoil within us than the one that's found in Matthew, Luke, and Romans. Probably some of the most revolutionary, outrageous, radical words that Jesus has spoke. And this is what he said. He said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, here's what I'm telling you. Love your enemies and pray for those who treat you who persecute you. And he says, but to you who are listening, I love that phrase, Jesus said that. To you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, you're not gonna hear those words out of any of our world leaders. And uh, so I want you to listen really close of what's coming up, okay? Because you'll never hear this anywhere else, only here. First of all, I will lay out an agenda to make my love go up for all of my enemies rather than down. There's a lot we have to do on forgiveness reform. Choosing light, loving our enemies. But we need to do it together. My babushka. This hatred that goes round and round, it must stop. So I be strong like bear and will love you. This I promise. Praying for our enemies changes those that hate us by loving at a much higher rate and it would rebuild those roads and bridges to reconcile with our persecutors. Imagine starting a revolution where praying for our enemies will transform this country. Okay, yeah, it is now my policy to love and pray for all of those who hate me so very much. Uh, each time this comes up, I need to do good to all of those who persecute and hate me, and I choose to love all my enemies. <laughs> you can laugh, okay? <laughs> we had a lot of fun doing that. I had a lot of fun putting words in the mouth of our mouths of our apologies. <laughs> Those are not their words. You will never hear those words come out of their mouths except for today. You've heard it. You don't believe it. <laughs> those are Jesus' words. It's a completely different road than the one that is led into the world. That one's wide. It's popular. The words of Jesus are not popular. They're tough. So Jesus says, love your enemy, what? Well, we first have to identify who is my enemy. Is it ISIS, is it Iran, is it North Korea, is it Russia, is it Syria, maybe? Is it the Democrats or the Republicans or is it Trump or is it Hillary or is it the Denver Broncos or the Carolina Panthers? I know in my home it's the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> Not from me, Paul and Michelle. You know I love you. <laughs> but I have to hear it all the time. That's our enemy, okay? <laughs> Who is our enemy? Well, this passage is often used to define an enemy as kind of a distant, impersonal target, kind of like nations or uh, someone that we're against. But here, Jesus is talking about something more personal, and it hits it 
home to each one of us. Because really, it is all about me. It's the people that we encounter every day in our life. It's our family. It's our neighbors. Usually it's spouses with each other or it's ex-spouses with each other or um, who, who is, it's our family, our neighbors, our coworkers. It's those drivers that can't drive nearly as well as you can out there. So who is my enemy? Well, it's somebody you don't like. It's somebody that is not responding the way you want them to respond. They make you mad. They feel, you, you probably feel that they've wronged you. It's just wrong what they've done. Or they've offended you. Or they've hurt you deeply. And they frustrate the bejeebies out of you. And they have caused, or that has caused you hardships. It's probably, it could be a child. It could be a parent, a boss, an in-law, a mean-spirited person. Now, we don't like to label our spouse as our enemy. But by this definition, that one that we're in a power struggle with, that one that we battle, that one that just won't see it my way, that's our enemy. We've made them our enemy. Maybe it's the cold in the snow. Maybe it's the government, the system. Maybe it's your boss, your employer. It, for me, in the past month or two, it's been anthem. It's this open enrollment thing. It's when I get that call and I'm waiting for an hour and a half and then they transfer me to another department and click. And they transfer me back and transfer me back and I can feel this thing raging up inside of me and that's who we're battling. When somebody does something to you or you get that, uh, okay, child support thing, uh, it just starts boiling up inside of you. That is your enemy. And I gotta tell you, the last month, I used this message to deal with Anthem because they had power to steal my joy only if I gave it to them. So every time I had to read what was going on inside of me so that I could reclaim my power and they were not in charge of me. And I got to tell you, I'd get on the phone and I'd get with these lovely people that wanted to be nice. <laughs> they say, I'm sorry, Mrs. Marston, that you're having to... <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is what I'm talking about. Whatever that is that rages up inside of you and you've got to identify who or what that is. It's an antagonist. It's something, you know, children are really great at this. They know your buttons better than you know your buttons. And therefore, you give them the power to steal your joy. And so we're going to talk about what it's going to take for you to reclaim your power and not allow circumstances or other people to steal your freedom and to find freedom. You know who you're, you can tell your enemy is? Just start to listen to yourself talking to other people. You probably talk about them to others like I just did you with Anthem. <laughs> In reality, it came through. I stuck with it after a month and it came through and everything is good. 
but it's probably those that you're talking about. You want to cast them in a light because they've created a hardship for you. You criticize them, and it feels good when other people say, oh, man, I can't believe that. I can't believe that they did that to you. Can you believe? You get what I'm saying? Listen to yourself. If you can't identify it by just pulling it up, just begin to observe yourself and listen to yourself and how you try to gain other people to kind of validate what hardship you've been through. And Jesus says, love them? What? Now, why would Jesus ask us to do something that is ridiculous and impossible? Well... Because that choice proves that you follow him. Nothing else in the world separates us from the general population than this. Because it's impossible to love our enemy and to not allow them to steal our joy without the power of God within us. Now, this is a different kind of love than the kind that you have for your children or, or for those people that love you. You know, this is different than, I looked for Jackson today because he's the one in the family. When he sees me, he'll run up and he'll just hug me. And it's like, that's not, that is easy love. I love that love. And those of you that really like me, I love that kind of love. It's easy. It requires nothing of me. It's nice. But, ah. Oh. <laughs> you know, Jesus even said, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? If you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? These are Jesus' words. Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. That kind of love does not separate us does not reflect the power of Jesus in us. We choose to love our enemies because it has to reflect his love. See, the kind of love that Jesus is talking about is what reveals him in us because it takes his power to transform us to pull it off. It involves our emotions. See, the other kind of love only involves our emotions. It's easy. It's not hard. There's not much of a price to it. But this one not only involves our emotions, but it goes beyond our emotions, and it requires a choice. And we all get to choose. It requires an act of my will. It requires me giving up something. It's a determination of my mind. That's what separates this kind of love. I have to choose it. You have to choose it. And it's not even possible until we make that choice. And it's not even possible without the power of God and his grace. And you say, oh, I'm uncertain about that. I'm not sure if I want to do what it takes to love my enemy. So we're at a crossroads. We have a choice, each one of us. Do you trust what he's asking of you or not? Okay, what's it going to require of me then? What is the cost? Being on this narrow road, what, what am I signing up for if I choose to love my enemy? Well, it's this.
is a choice, and you know, one of the choices is we get to choose what kind of person we want to be. Do we want to be the rock thrower, or do we want to be the bridge builder? And it's not dependent on what that other person does. It's not dependent on getting that other person to change. We get to choose what kind of person we want to be in this world. And we have to realize that you can't even begin to love this way without Jesus and his power transforming you inside. Because it takes discipline, it takes surrender, it takes a series of choices that I'm going to share with you this morning, but it takes a whole lot of God's grace. And we have to be open to that. We have to, when he, Jesus invites us and he bids us, we have to receive it. We have to say, God, I want to go on your path. And when we choose, when we decide to follow him, we're clicking that button that says, I agree to the terms of what you're asking me to do. No turning back. It's a choice. Jesus brings us to these points of choice. He never coerces. He never manipulates. He simply says, this is one of the paths that you can choose. But it's going to require something of us. First of all, that means that we need to set that choice in stone. When you go out of here, you need to know for sure. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back, or you know what? I'm just not ready for that yet. Every single one of us will make that choice before we leave today. It gets a little scary when you really take time to think about it, doesn't it? But set that choice in stone. It's like a vow in marriage. You know, you had, we had no clue what we were headed into, did we? Well, you can do as much premarital counseling, and we require it, and we say you got to do it because there are some things that you need to talk about before you get married. But there is no way you can be completely prepared once you get into marriage, right? And in our world today, the exit ramp is really easy because we get to a point where we say, I didn't sign up for this. I am out of here. Instead of saying, you know what? I made a choice that when I got here, I was going to hold on to my rock, and I was going to build my house on the rock, so that when this storm comes, he's going to see me through. And when he sees me through, the choice that I make to stay is going to build my spiritual muscles, and I'm going to get stronger, so that when the next choice comes, I'll be able to stand there, and when the winds blow and try to knock me down, I will remain firm because I'm holding on to the rock. And each series of choices that we make to stay there and call on his power and accept God's grace, we get stronger, and our path gets clearer. And we know how to make those choices because I nailed it down. I've decided to follow Jesus. I'm not turning back. There's a wide road out there I can take, and it'll feel a whole lot better today. But there's a narrow road that I signed up for. And whatever it takes in me, you know, whatever the cost to me, how much, however painful that is to me, that's what I chose. So nail that choice down. Secondly, and this is the one I've been counseling people for 30 years. I've been a pastor for many, many years. This is the one that we try to avoid at all costs. Because we are so good at looking what everyone else does wrong. We can see it clear, can't we? 
I mean, I can listen to somebody for five minutes, and I can tell you what they see wrong about everybody else or the situation. But this is the one where the rubber meets the road. To take responsibility for how I got here. Take responsibility for my part. Rewind it. See, we all make choices all along the way that contribute to where we are today. I mean, we've already talked about that. It's power. We made choices way back there that got us to where we are today and in the situations that we are. And we have to look at the choices that we made that contributed to where we are today. So we have to rewind. I love this story. I'm reading the Living Bible through in a year, and uh, I just got through Genesis, and there's a story in there of Jacob and Esau. Maybe you know that story, but Abraham, if you've heard his name, God called him to be the father of nations, and Abraham had a son named Isaac, and he was the one that he took up on the mountain, and he was going to sacrifice, but then God provided a lamb. Well, Isaac had twin boys, Esau and Jacob. But generally, we say Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn, and Jacob came out holding the heel of Esau. Now, the firstborn was always the one that God chose to continue his line and his promise and his blessing. Well, Esau didn't take that seriously. Jacob wanted that birthright. He wanted the blessing, and he and his mother kind of conspired together. And Esau was just kind of like, la da 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 So he was out in the fields one day, and he got really, really hungry. And he came to Jacob, and he said, man, I am really hungry. And Jacob said to him, he said, well, give me your birthright, and I'll give you some food for today. Esau didn't have a clue the choice that he was making, how that would, it still affects us here today. Because... Esau wanted food. And it says, and Esau vowed thereby selling all his eldest son rights to his younger brother because he wanted immediate gratification. So he ate, he drank, and he went on about his business. Listen to this, indifferent of the rights that he had thrown away. Don't we do that? I did that in marriage. When I made those life choices back then, I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I did much of what Esau did. He threw away his future for his immediate fulfillment. Early in marriage, Buddy and I hit the skids. You've heard us talk about the difficulties that we had early on because we came from different backgrounds and had different ideas. And I could have blamed Buddy and he could have blamed me for lots of things because we were foolish and we did a lot of things wrong. But early in that marriage... I realized the choices that I had made to get myself in that mess. Nobody made me get married. Nobody, I was the one that chose to get married that day. No, I was the one that chose Buddy. I was the one that made a vow to God. No one forced me. And just like Esau, I flippantly made those choices without regard for the future consequences. And then I got into the future and there were the consequences. And it's taken me a lifetime to get this in my walk with Christ. But it was my responsibility, not buddies, to correct what I'd gotten myself into. 
And in my walk with Christ and God as my perfect parent, he's been correcting me ever since. And I've looked within myself and I've said, God, show me. Because here's the kind of person I want to be. I've decided to follow you. And so change me. And he's been correcting me ever since. However, I've been open to that. I've welcomed that. And as I've talked with people after this message, they've said, nobody wants to hear that stuff. <laughs> but we've got to. If there's a change that will ever be made and will reclaim the freedom in Christ that he wants us to have, we have to take a look and take our responsibility for how we got here. And I can tell you my path has been made straighter and my choices are clearer. The personal cost, it's been excruciating. It's been painful. But I can tell you on this side of life, it's been well worth it. Every choice that was made for Christ, every time it was painful because he had to empty me out, it's been well worth it to have what I have with Christ today and what I have with Buddy today. Our relationships are so much stronger. Thirdly, we have to identify when that happens, when that rages up inside of you, you have to say, what is that touching on inside of me? You've got to identify this. What is that wound? What is that place that that person is giving me opportunity to feel? And if we'll do that, see, those are the buttons. That's the place within our own heart that needs to be healed. And when we avoid this, we create our own enemies. That's a powerful statement right there. When we avoid identifying our own wound, we create our own enemies. Healing is not dependent on another person changing. Did you notice in that little cartoon, after uh, the, the little guy uh, built that bridge, got over there, extended the hand, but what happened then was not dependent on that other person. You don't have to resume the relationship. We just have to resolve the wounds within us. And that is not dependent on what that other person does. We have to give up trying to get them to change. And the most common thing that I see with us as humans is we want everybody else to change. But we don't want to do it ourselves. This is why few walk this road. Very few are willing to look at ourselves. But Jesus says this is really about us. It's about the personal. And remember, your enemy is not that situation. My enemy is not anthem. They just give me opportunity to feel what's inside of me. God clearly says that our enemy is not another person. It's not our situation. It's not our circumstance. Circumstance says, for we struggle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If the spirit of darkness can get you to focus on another person and on your circumstances and you are the victim, you will never find freedom in loving your enemy and in Christ. This is hardcore. And this is what the love of Christ and following him separates us from the rest of the world. Booker T. Washington, he was in the midst of a lot of injustice. 
saw a lot of it. And he said, I will not allow any man to make me lower myself by hating him. Is that powerful? I will not allow any man to make me lower myself by hating him. And we have to choose not to respond the way that we've been treated. Evil will never overcome evil. Revenge will never get you to where you want to go. Revenge will sabotage you. It will sabotage your future. It will sabotage everything that you want. There is no way that evil and choosing to do what the other person has done to you will get you where you want to go. Uh, it says in Romans, don't repay evil for evil. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, you can say, you know what? I have done all that I can do. I'm finding this place within myself. I'm healing. But leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it is mine to avenge, says the Lord. He'll take care of that if you place it in his hands. I mean, he gives us all kinds of directives like that in, in the Bible. He even gives us the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. That's impossible without his power and your choice. Number five is simply pray. Pray for your enemy. Nobody can enter into the presence of God and hate someone else. You take that person with you, you get down on your knees and you pray for that person you know what to do, it'll kill the bitterness inside of you. Next one is just choose to forgive. I'm not gonna get into this a whole lot because this is a whole series. But here's what forgiveness does not mean. It does not mean that we excuse bad behavior or we allow ourselves to be a doormat or we allow ourselves to be treated poorly. We have to build good boundaries. And as we get our eyes off of that person and off of that situation, God can begin to build a protective covering around our heart as we learn better responses. And then, like I said before, Choose, you get to choose the kind of person you want to be. Are you going to be that judgmental, hateful person, the very thing that you hate that people have done to you, or one with self-respect, reflecting the love of Christ? We all get to choose. We have the power to choose. So we have to ask ourselves, am I willing to love like that? Am I willing to choose that kind of love? Because when we choose that kind of love, we also choose the narrow road that few choose to take. Are you willing to love the jerks? Maybe one day you won't even call them that. <laughs> now, are you the jerk or are, <laughs> or are you the jerky? <laughs> jerky. I'll take some more jerky, Paul. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, maybe you're uncertain about that answer. Yet if you've chosen to follow Jesus, you made a commitment to trust and follow what he says. To love your enemies. To do good to them. To not expect anything in return. You don't do this to be a good person and people say, ooh, look at that good. It's not it. You expect nothing in return. You've chosen the kind of person that you want to be. You've chosen the one that you're going to choose to follow. You've chosen the road that you've gone 
down. Would those closest to me say that they see me struggling to love my enemy? You know, it was really, it was really good for me as Buddy watched me go through that process throughout a month that was so frustrating. And I, I said to him, you know, I am really struggling to, to allow God to do something in me that is really tough here. He said, I've seen that. That was so fulfilling. I didn't do it so he'd see it. But afterwards, I had a lot of self-respect when I wanted to go off and the Lord really helped me not to do that because I found out what it was touching on inside of me. Do, they, do your children see you and hear you reflecting the impossible and, and saying, man, I'm human and I am so struggling with this, but God's called me to love my enemy and I'm going to do what it takes to love my enemy. Or are they hear you, hearing you ranting about that impossible person or situation? I can promise you this. Whatever our children see and hear is what they'll learn to be. However they see you handling situations is what they'll continue. They just will. So why choose this challenging, difficult, narrow road? It's ridiculous. Really? Because you say that you love him. You even came to church and knew that you'd hear about Jesus. Why would we do it? And there are some rewards. You know what happens is we begin to look more like Jesus. We begin to be formed into our original design that he gave us because this is how he loves. He loves people who choose him or don't choose him. He loves and we'll begin to look more like him as he transforms us. And it'll clarify your choices. You'll get to those decision-making places and you'll say, you know what, I made my choice to follow Jesus. He says in his word, this is what I'm called to do. So I'm gonna get on my knees. I'm gonna ask him for his grace and his power to see me through. I'm not gonna run away. There's no turning back. And when that happens, you grow stronger. You grow stronger because you've overcome the obstacles. And you know what the result of that will be? You'll have inner peace. You'll have self-respect. And you'll have some guaranteed promises from God. Eternal life. But you know what I love more than anything that this does? And what our world needs more than anything out of people who call themselves believers and followers of Jesus Christ? It, re it reflects the impossible. And it gives glory to God through our life. There is no greater purpose in life that he's allowed us to have than to show his glory through our life. And I can say I was once an angry person. I, when my father died and I was a freshman in college, I was in a, in a place I didn't want to be, and I played basketball my freshman year. And I was angry, and I took it out on everybody on that basketball court. I was fouling out of the game all the time. I went up and gave a girl a headbutt. Next thing I knew, I was smelling some salts. <laughs> And what I realized was there was a lot of pain, a lot of hurt inside of that young woman. And I carried that into my marriage. But there was a point at which Jesus offered himself to me. 
And I said, you know what? I'm going to nail this choice down. I'm walking with him. Whatever the terms and agreement are, I'm there. And it has been painful. But he has changed me, and I can see I'm not that angry person anymore. Because he's healed that place in my heart. And those things that once made me angry have no power over me anymore. Because as we put our eyes on Jesus, he becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. So anyone ready to take the narrow road? It's a choice. It makes no earthly sense. It takes trust. Trust in the one who stands at a crossroad where we're all at right now with uncertainty and invites you. Trust me. You know, someone posted from this message over the weekend. They said, this is how we roll at Salem Fields. We're going to choose to love our enemy. And as long as Buddy and I are the leaders of Salem Fields Community Church, this is how we'll roll. We'll never back away from telling you what it takes to walk the narrow road. And we'll never promise a cushy ride. It's tough. But we all get to choose. So I don't know where you're at in all of that. But I do know that we're in the presence of God. Let's stand together. Let's worship. And would you just listen to him? Remember Jesus said in that passage, he said, to those who are listening, what does that mean? Jesus said, to those who are listening, what does that mean? You can nail it down here this morning.